remember uh, Chris and, and Beckham used to have this conversation about uh, dating, actually, girls. And uh, Beckham told him that uh, he needed to marry a girl who was fun uh, and loved God. And this was when Chris was still in high school. And then uh, sometime during college, I remember Beck or Chris coming over and sitting down with, with Beckham and rephrasing and telling him, listen, there's a flaw in your theory here. Uh, you need to add a third one to it. She needs to be fun, love God, and like you. Because um, he explained he'd met the first two criteria many times and not the third one. Um, so that's been his contribution to my son's discipleship. <laughs> well, uh, last week, so we've been doing Ruth, and last week we took a break. Uh, Pastor John was uh, preaching a beautiful sermon on Luke 2. If you didn't, weren't here, didn't get to hear it, I uh, highly recommend uh, you go listen to it. It's on our website. Uh, you can listen to it there. Uh, it's just great. Um, so anyway, we're going to be in Ruth 3 today. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up there. Uh, it's a little hard to find Ruth by this point. You should be getting there. It is the eighth Bible, so you can count it off if you need to. I tell you that because we want you getting more familiar with how to get around your Bible, even if you're not sure at this point. Uh, so uh, let me remind you, though, where we're at in the story, just to catch us back up. Chapter 1, uh, a woman named Naomi and her husband lived in Bethlehem, but they left Bethlehem, and they go to the nation of Moab. And, and there in Moab, they, they go because there's a famine in Israel. Uh, there's no food where they were. So while in Moab, her husband dies, Naomi's husband. And uh, then their two sons, they, she, they had two sons. They marry Moabite women. Uh, and then both their sons die. And so now you've got three widows uh, there. And so Naomi, uh, one of them stays back and and Moab, and then Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. And one of them, one of the other widows, uh, Ruth, decides to go with her, uh, to go back there. And, and so then they uh, return back to Bethlehem. Naomi is broken. She is uh, bitter, uh, just emotionally spent, like you might imagine. Uh, and then in chapter 2, there's a little more hope that came about. Uh, you might remember Ruth goes to glean. That's where you get to pick behind the harvesters and see what you can get. Uh, and there's a man named Boaz who is incredibly kind, makes sure there's extra stuff left out, uh, gives her extra food, and uh, really just offers protection for her while she's there. Uh, and so um, this encouraged both Ruth and Naomi at this point, and uh, uh, even more so because they find out that, or she comes to find out that Boaz is a relative of Naomi, the older woman's uh, dead husband. And we're going to explain what the significance of that is a little later. Uh, but first, we're going to read this passage. It's 18 verses. It's a little long um, as far as just reading through it, but we're going to do that, and then we will dig into this. So, Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and under, uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, 
I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she, she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did, how did it fare, my daughter? <clears throat> then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, history is strange. Uh, and having read this, we may want a, a better system for these widows. We might even be able to think of better systems in our minds. But God, you are working for your people. Wherever they are, you are working. And we thank you for the way that you care and you provide for your people, uh, no matter what the, the time or the culture that you, they find themselves in. Uh, God, I, I ask that you help us understand this passage this morning uh, so that we might understand your goodness uh, in this situation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So one of the things I've noticed over the years is just how crazy it is how people have gone about finding a spouse, meeting somebody. Uh, I know my grandparents, hearing their story, they actually grew up in the same small town of Charleston, Missouri together. Uh, I think the, the highest that town's ever had for uh, population was 5,000 people. And uh, so they were married at the age of 16 after knowing each other their entire lives. And at 16, no one batted an eye. There was no question as whether that was too young at the time. Uh, my parents, uh, you know, met later on. That's how that works. Uh, they met outside of a class, or college classroom, and, and then over the summer they wrote letters and spoke on the phone to each other. That's how they actually got to know each other. Uh, Laura and I, once you get up to our generation, we, we met through a mutual friend over Christmas break, and um, we were at different universities at the time. And so we got to know each other via this amazing technology called AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, a few of you shaking your heads. You're all old if you're shaking your head. Um, you know, it was a uh, texting before phones. You had to be plugged into a computer somewhere to do it, but uh, it was much cheaper than long-distance phone calls, and you younger people have no idea why a long-distance phone call would be expensive to you. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so we've known other people then that uh, have met each other over eHarmony or something similar, Christian Mingle, something like that. Uh, and, and then we've got college kids today. Um, can you imagine someday telling your children how you met each other on an old app called Tinder? Now, as strange as Naomi's plan is that we see here in our passage, uh, you can imagine trying to explain, or can you imagine trying to explain tender to, to Naomi in her culture? You just, you just look at the picture and then you accept and reject them on that alone? Really? I mean, these are the kind of questions she might be asking. So and I mention this because I want you to understand that our culture is really a glass house, you know? 
Uh, don't be too quick to throw these rocks at, uh, at what the way Israel did things some 3,000 years ago because we do them very strange ourselves. And yet, as you come to this text, you, you've got to admit it is a, a strange plan, right? I mean, can you imagine giving a young woman today this advice? Uh, okay, uh, so you like that guy Bo in your ag class, right? Uh, and you think he likes you too. Now, semester's about to end, uh, so you're going to need to go big. Uh, to let them know how you feel about things, what you hope to come of this relationship. Uh, this is what you need to do. Can you imagine giving this advice? When you get off work tonight, make sure no one sees you and follow him. We have a word for this. We call it stalking, right? And, and after he's stopped by the varsity truck and eating a mac and cheese, grilled cheese, see what house he goes to and where he goes to sleep. Then I want you to sneak in and uncover his feet and then lay there under the blanket until he notices you. Yeah, that does sound a bit crazy. Um, and so let me bridge the gap so this can make a little more sense to us what's going on. That Naomi didn't just go nuts, right? <clears throat> There's something going on here. So Ruth has been going to harvest this grain in Boaz's, in Boaz's field for, for a few weeks now, maybe many weeks. Uh, and, and it seems that uh, from what we've seen in earlier chapters that maybe they're talking over lunch, they're getting to know each other. Uh, and, and yet the harvest is coming to an end. When the harvest ends that opportunity is going to go away. And so the mother-in-law, Naomi, has this plan uh, to move this relationship forward very quickly. And, and you have to understand, Naomi's plan is motivated by a care, uh, a concern for Ruth. She desires, uh, she keeps using this word rest, right? She wants rest for Ruth. And, and like it or not, uh, in their culture, that means that she needs to have a husband. Uh, a husband who will provide for her with a, a future, with uh, finances, with, with uh, children, things of that nature. <clears throat> and this isn't, isn't new. I mean, we've seen this in the text already that Naomi desires rest for Ruth. You remember in verse 9, chapter 1, she prayed for both her daughter-in-laws at that moment. And she said, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. She wants this for her. And so now you're seeing that Naomi's plan has to happen quickly because uh, this, this plan needs to happen tonight because it's happening tonight. The winnowing of barley is happening tonight. See, um, grains at this time, I guess grains at all time, right? They still grow this way. <clears throat> uh, like barley, when they grow, they have this protective outer coating on them. Um, kind of like, like M&M's, only uh, the coating's not nearly as delicious as M&M's, so they've got to get that shell off and, and remove it. And so uh, they make this flat threshing floor, they'd call it. Uh, and the grains were poured out on it, a large rock surface. Uh, <clears throat> and then they would need to smash it with something. Sometimes they'd use livestock, sometimes they'd use other things. Uh, and then that smashing would separate the grain from the husk or the outside. Uh, but still, they're all in this pile together. And so what they would do on these winnowing nights is they'd go out. Uh, when it's windy at night, it's up on a hill. And they would take a winnowing fork. And they would, they would dig into this grain and they'd throw it up in the air. And all the light shell stuff would just blow away, which means the, the good grain would fall back to the ground. So that's, that's what they're doing here. And this was extremely exhausting work, you might imagine. They'd already worked all day, too. And uh, so they just sleep at the threshing floor. Uh, so, you know, you heard the, the plan. Stalk the guy, uh, see where he lays down on this open hill, and then crawl under his blanket. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? <clears throat> but first, uh, Naomi gives her this other advice, right? To, to go and wash and anoint yourself, 
Uh, and, and this is one of those things, you're not quite exactly what her intention here is. It could be uh, a reference to her, uh, this time of mourning your husband is over, and now it's time to kind of move forward and really pursue a, a husband uh, in this regard. Uh, that was the case, uh, not exactly, but the, the case of what's happening in uh, 2 Samuel 12.20. Uh, there, King David is there. He's been mourning the loss of his, of his child that has died. Uh, and afterwards, he, it says that he washed himself, he anointed himself, and he put on clothes. And so you have the same thing representing this, this moving from mourning to kind of back into to life. Uh, on the other hand, it, it could simply be that Naomi's telling Ruth, you know, clean up. Uh, go make yourself attractive, you know. Uh, anointing would have made her smell nice. It's like perfume, right? Um, and this is actually maybe the most normal thing of the whole story that we can understand here. Because even us today, you know, if you're going on a date, you're going to want to smell nice, I, I hope. Um, and I don't know that, that Ruth understands this, this culture, um, actual Bethlehem, Israel culture, any more than we do. But, but you see that she trusts Naomi. She hears Naomi's plan, and she decides to do everything that Naomi has told her to do. And now, even as you look at this, even in their culture, this is a bit aggressive relationally uh, that's, that's happening here. Uh, in fact, some believe that Naomi, that Naomi here is encouraging Ruth to go out and to seduce Boaz. Um, and th- to be fair, the, the Hebrew is, is certainly vague enough that that could be the case, which, which leads uh, you know, me to believe that the author intentionally wants us wondering this question, you know, how is Ruth going to go about this interaction with Boaz? Um, perhaps we're supposed to think, you know, she's going to try to seduce Boaz, only to let out this, this sigh of relief when, when we get there and we see that um, this Moabite woman acts in a, in a way that is godly, uh, to shows a godly character when she interacts with this man. And so when it says that, uh, that Boaz, uh, Boaz's heart was merry in verse 7, uh, just to make sure you're clear on that, it does, you know, he's drank enough wine to, to feel it, uh, he's not drunk. That's not the idea here. There are plenty of words in there for drunk, and that's not one of them. Uh, that's not what it means here. So uh, then Ruth follows all of Naomi's instructions, and then around midnight, Boaz feels someone at his feet under the blanket. Can you imagine the fright in that moment? Um, everything's scarier at night. Uh, sometime last year, uh, there was weather. There's always weather outside, right? Some weird weather outside, and it's dark. The lights are off, and I get up, and I open the door. We have a back door right out of our, our bedroom. Um, and I open it to kind of see what the weather is like. And suddenly, this thing just brushes against my leg and runs into our house. And it's dark. I can't see what it is. Uh, it takes a few seconds to realize it's this huge orange cat. Not my cat. Um, but he's coming to our house. He's meowing. He's pretty happy. But it just it terrified me. You know, if I'd seen the cat at daytime, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. Uh, but at nighttime, it was like some beast had come in. And... Uh, and I screamed like a little girl. That's what I did. That's what I do when I get scared. Um, and, and so Boaz is surprised. And that's why in verse 8 there, you see that word behold. Uh, I'm pretty sure that behold is a Hebrew word that means scream like a little girl. But really, he's shocked. Because he's not expecting to find a woman at his feet in the middle of the night. And who is? If you are, there's something wrong. Uh, you know, so you just think, you know, how panicked would you be in that moment to just find a strange person under the blanket with you? And there's, there's no electricity. The fire has died down in the darkness. You know, and so he asked this question, who are you? Quickly, right? Uh, and the question's still in the air for us. Is she here to seduce him? 
You know, has she come to, to do something like that? Uh, it's likely in Boaz's mind as well. And, and I say that because even in their culture, it wasn't proper uh, for a godly woman to show up at night like this. This would have been un, unheard of for him too. And so, you know, perhaps she knows this looks really, really bad because she answers him very quickly, very directly, stating exactly who she is and what her intentions are here. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. See, getting under a blanket is a symbolic act for them, which is strange to us because we don't really do symbolic acts anymore. Um, it, just, it just don't happen in the United States 2016. Uh, and so to place your, you know, your garment over someone uh, is to say uh, that you're going to marry them. Yeah, that's a weird symbolism, but that's what it is. You know, in Ezekiel 16, 8, um, God is speaking to the prophet to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and we see the same sim- symbolism there. He says, or it says, um, <clears throat> when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. So you see what's, what's really happening here in all this symbolism that's weird. It's not what we're used to. But when, when Ruth places herself under that blanket, she is asking Boaz, will you marry me? And it's bold. I mean, you can imagine in that moment then just how vulnerable Ruth feels. You know, just her heart beating like crazy. What's going to happen uh, you know, how is Boaz going to respond? And he's a godly man. And we see that, you know, he begins saying, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. See, this, this first kindness that he mentions, the, the first kindness was simply that she followed uh, Naomi back to Bethlehem rather than staying in Moab. Uh, to go with her, the way she has just shown kindness to Naomi. And, and the second kindness is this. Uh, you remember the other widow, Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah. Uh, she went home to Moab, and, and maybe she married again. Maybe she had children again, but any children she would have had uh, <clears throat> would, have not, uh, would not have provided any heir for Naomi or, or her dead husband. Uh, according to their customer. Ruth here, though, in Bethlehem, uh, she could come to Bethlehem even. She could seek out a husband, uh, one of the young men, right, if she wanted to, someone wealthy who could provide for her, someone closer to her own age, something of that nature. However, any children those two had uh, would not provide an heir to the deceased husband of, of Naomi or to Naomi. And so the second kindness that he's saying is is the greater kindness is this. Ruth has sought out a husband within the tradition of the Redeemer. Okay, and we're going to explain what that means. Uh, Because Boaz qualifies as a Redeemer. And and a Redeemer, if you remember, we talked about it a little bit last time, but uh, a Redeemer, uh, or as you've maybe heard it before, called a uh, kinsman Redeemer. Uh, It's often that, sorry, uh, a Redeemer was a man who could marry a widow uh, if her husband has died with, with no children. And the result would be that this, this would carry on the family name. Any child that they had would be counted like children of the man who has died. And so the children of this marriage would then uh, proper, would, in, would inherit property uh, or anything else that was to come to that child. So Boaz is, is not a brother. Now in this, this redeemer-like tradition that they had, 
Uh, a brother was required to do so, but he is not a brother. And so he's not required, but he's certainly able to do so if he chooses to do so. So, so Ruth is showing up and asking him, will you marry me? Will you rescue me from this situation? Will you provide for Naomi and us? And this is a huge risk. Um, even for Boaz, it's a risk, you know, to, to marry this Moabite woman, someone outside of their, their culture, um, you know, who has shown up here just coming to follow Naomi and to follow the Lord. You know, if he will do it, she can, she can then provide an heir for Naomi uh, and her deceased husband. And so uh, in his response, then he's praising her. You notice that he says uh, the whole town knows that Ruth is a worthy woman. And that's, that's quite a statement when you think about that just a few weeks earlier, the whole town didn't know anything about her besides she followed Naomi back from Moab, right? Um, kind of interesting here, if you're familiar um, with the book of Proverbs, you know that in Proverbs 31, there's that chapter that always discourages women, you know, like the, the excellent wife or the excellent woman uh, in that last chapter. But uh, the woman it speaks about there is this industrious and godly woman. And, and in the midst of that, that passage, uh, Proverbs 31, they ask this question, an excellent woman, who can find? Um, well, in the Hebrew order of, of the Old Testament books, Ruth is actually the book immediately after, after Proverbs, which, of course, you know, gives an answer to that question. An excellent woman, who can find? Well, here's Ruth, and we're seeing an example in this. Uh, and what makes it even more clear is that that word excellent in Proverbs that is translated from the exact same Hebrew word that we see translated here as, as worthy. And so in Proverbs, it says excellent, and here it's, it's translated as, as worthy in verse 11. The word means strength. It means strength, and it's typically used in reference to military. You know, some of the other ways, if you go through just a, a reference to see how it's been translated in various passages, um, valor, strength, mighty, these are the words that, that are referring to Ruth in this moment. You know, Boaz has been watching, watching Ruth as she works in his field. He has seen her strength. He has seen the way she's cared for Naomi. He has seen her resolve, and he is absolutely impressed with this woman. And so, again, though, imagine for a moment just how Ruth feels in this moment. You know, she's just laid her heart bare. She's just gone beyond kind of cultural norms to ask this man to marry her, uh, to propose to him. And, and, and yes, he begins with these compliments, right? You're worthy, all these great things he said about it. But, but then, you know, what is this he says? He says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. That's not a yes. Not exactly what you want to hear in that moment. You know, if you're Ruth, you might be thinking, you know, what, why did I do this? What was I thinking, you know, in that moment? Like, that's not a yes. But remember, you know, Boaz has, has shown godly character. And, and Boaz desires to do this properly, and he knows he can't just say yes. You know, he's clearly considered marrying her already. This isn't the first time it's occurred to him, and we know that because he's already done the research. He already knows that there is another Redeemer who is closer than, than, than he. Um, and, and that means that this other man has first dibs, and I know that sounds weird, but that's the way it worked. Uh, according to their custom. And so, you know, as he continues to speak, there's this promise, and there's this promise that should bring relief to Ruth, right? Uh, do you hear the oath he makes in verse 13? Uh, if, if he, the other redeemer, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, and not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. That is an oath. You know, Ruth has some serious moxie showing up and proposing, and, and it works. 
You know, one way or another, she's going to be redeemed. Now, if you remember back to, to Ruth, last chapter, chapter 2, verse 12, <clears throat> the prayer that Boaz prays for Ruth, you remember that? He prays that, that she be under the wings of the Lord. And, and she now finds herself under the wings of Boaz in a very tangible way. Boaz is not God. Boaz is not trying to be God, but he is a vessel which God is, is blessing and caring for Ruth through. And, and that's the thing, you know, sometimes we miss God working because he is working through, through human hands in that sense. You know, we might, we might pray for God to provide for us financially, and, and then we search for a job, and someone says, sure, you can have a job, and, and we just think, wow, I found a job, or wasn't that guy nice, he gave me a job. And we fail to see that, that behind the hand of, of, of that man or that woman giving you the job is the hand of God ever working for his covenant people. That's the explicit you know, message of Romans 8.28. Many of you are familiar with this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so there is a, a plan for Ruth's future, but but it must wait for tomorrow to be worked out, right? And so he tells her, you know, lay down and wait, wait till morning. And, and again, even in this, he's looking out for her. If she were to travel home at that moment in the middle of the night, that's not safe. Uh, there's beasts bigger than big orange cats that can get you. It's a dangerous place. And it's become clear at this point that, you know, uh, in the text, he's not winnowing alone. Uh, there are a bunch of other people out there. You imagine this conversation happened through whispers and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, in the morning, he, uh, he tells the others. He says, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. That's about protecting her honor. And even though the conversation they had needed to, be, needed to happen in private, and that's probably a reason Naomi set it up this way, is it needed to happen in private, um, it does, however, put Ruth's reputation at risk. She's done absolutely nothing sinful. Uh, but there is the risk of how others are going to perceive this. And unfortunately, uh, reputations are often established by perceptions, not just reality. Uh, so Boaz in this is, is functioning as the opposite of a gossip, right? Uh, what would that be? Pisog? Uh, the opposite of a gossip. Because a gossip goes out of their way to, to harm someone's reputation. But, but Boaz here is going out of his way to protect someone's reputation. It's a beautiful thing. You know, not to cover up a sin. Don't mistake that. He's not covering up a sin, but to prevent people from falsely assuming that some sexual sin had occurred. And so then the chapter ends with, with him giving Ruth a bunch of barley. And we see that and we're like, yeah, a bunch of barley, off she goes. That's um, six measures. That's twice what she, she was able to glean that day when she worked all day long. Um, uh, this, though, is a, is a visible sign of a promise that he's made. This promise that, that he will ensure that she is redeemed. Uh, also, six is the number of incompleteness in Scripture. You know, the earth was created in how many days? Six. But when was it complete? On the seventh day. Uh, and so Ruth now has this promise and a hope, but it's not complete yet. Uh, so, she, so she heads home. She's got this heavy load of barley on her, which tells us she is one tough woman. Um, and then uh, Naomi asks her about the night, and she assures Ruth, uh, things are gonna, uh, uh, will be worked out very shortly. Why Naomi thinks that, we don't know, but she is very certain that uh, the character of Boaz speaks to itself. He will figure something out today. Uh, a, a few final things, and then we'll close. First, uh, I want to say it again, because I don't want us to miss this. This is too big, that, that Boaz is, is functioning as the Lord's care for both Naomi and Ruth. Because it is so easy for us to forget that 
the hand of God in, in, in our day, um, our day-to-day provision, the way God is caring for us, you know, uh, to see God's love and the way he provides for us in little ways. You know, the, the fact that the sun came up today, that's an act of, of God's love for us. I mean, the fact that you take seeds and you stick them in the dirt and they actually grow, that's an act of God's love for us. Uh, that bills get paid, that the lights stay on, that, that the heater was working last night, that's an act of God for you. Uh, God's love for you. The good friends you have, yeah, the spouse who knows just how weird you are and loves you anyway, uh, that's a gift from the hand of the Lord. Uh, the parents who have cared for you, the food you're going to go eat for lunch today, you probably won't think much about it. But, but that's a gift of God's love for you. Um, all of these gracious acts of God's love for you. And yet there is nothing that shows the love of God for you quite as well as the salvation accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, you know, as, as people, we, as people who live on the other side of the cross than where Ruth was, uh, we, should, we should see this story and, and understand the way that it is pointing forward to, to Christ as the ultimate redeemer. You know, uh, Boaz makes this commitment that he will do anything he can to redeem Ruth. To assure that that happens. And, and Jesus made a commitment to, to do whatever was necessary to redeem his bride, the church. You know, in, in, in Jesus, God has proven his covenant love and his mercy and his boundless grace and his kindness towards us. See, Jesus, the all-powerful at Advent, we, we, we celebrate this, you know, that, that Jesus, the all-powerful, came into the world and, and, and as the most fragile thing, right? A newborn human baby. Here, the most glorious person in the world, you know, walked a path that, that left him despised and rejected by men. And for what? For the church. For you, you know, if you have already or you'll place your faith in Christ alone, it's for you. And you might ask the question then, so what? What do we do with that, right? Well, by the grace of God, we, we put our trust in God's covenant love, love his, his kindness, His generosity for us. And In other words, what we do is, is we believe the good news that Christ has died on the cross to pay for our sins, and we rest in that. Um, one of my professors, Sinclair Ferguson, in a book he wrote, said this. He said, there is a living Savior who, because he died and rose again, is sufficient to save you. And indeed, each and every person who comes to him in faith, there is fullness of grace in Christ crucified, and you too may find salvation in his name. Um, I want to close with the words from, from Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Beautiful words. Christ is speaking there, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, this Redeemer is giving Ruth the rest she needs. Our Redeemer, the ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ, gives us the rest that we all long for. Let's pray.